What matters most to us in times of consequence? Is it wealth? Is it prestige and power? Is it likes or favorites? To me, in my life, what I hope to center is that friendship, family, empathy, compassion, quirkiness, humor, and hope will win out even amidst the fray of this transient and turbulent life. My name is Rob Lee. I'm a pastor, a public theologian, and author working at the intersection of faith and public life. I want this podcast to be a place where I interview those people who are exemplifying what it means to exist with complete abandon in this life. I want to know more about how they view themselves, their craft, and the world in which they live so that we all can imitate them. Together, we can reteach the world its loveliness. I hope you'll join me. Oh, thank you for being my friend. Thank you for being a friend. Travel down the road and back again. Your heart is true. You're a pal and a confidant. If you threw a party and invited everyone you knew, you would see the biggest gift would be for me. And the card attached would say, thank you for being a friend. Everybody, welcome to another episode of Beloved Journal. My name is Rob Lee, and I am the host of this podcast. And I'm so grateful that you took the time uh, to tune in. Uh, today on the show, we have the Reverend Dr. Jonathan C. Augustine. Uh, Jay serves as the senior pastor of St. Joseph AME Church in Durham, North Carolina, and serves as the general chaplain of the Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Um, he is an accomplished author. We talk a lot about his book, When Prophets Preach. He is a respected academic leader. He's taught all across the country and has been working in the field of social justice as an advocate uh, who speaks for the equality of all human beings. He's just an amazing person. I'm so grateful to call him a friend, and I'm so grateful to share him with you today. I encourage you to check out the show notes where you can see more information about Jay and learn about all his many accolades, all the things he's earned, all the things he's done, because he's done so much. Um, he is one of those people who just shows up and things are done. And that's amazing to me because he has worked so hard to earn so much of what he's done. So with that said, I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hey, if you like what you're hearing, uh, why don't you give this a rate wherever you're um, wherever you're listening? Uh, give us a give us a five star review. We would love that. We would love to continue to be the top uh, rated podcast that we try to be, and we'd love to hear your feedback as well. So with that said, let's tune in and listen to the Reverend Dr. Jonathan C. Augustine and, and myself in conversation. Dr. Jonathan C. Augustine, thank you so much for coming on Beloved Journal. Thank you, Rob. It's a pleasure to be with you. I deeply appreciate the invitation and the opportunity to share. So thank you so much. Well, it's always good to be in your presence, even if it's over Zoom. It's always nice to see you and hear your voice. You've written Feeling this mutual. You've written this amazing, amazing book, um, When Prophets Preach, Leadership and the Politics of the Pulpit. 
So my first question may seem rather simple given the amazing depth of what you wrote. I mean, you went really into to great detail to cover what needed to be covered. But how do you know when you're a prophet? Hmm. Um, well, first and foremost, thank you for the very kind words that you shared in describing the book. Um, I, I deeply appreciate that. And I take it as a sincere compliment, especially coming from you. Um, the book really is about prophetic leadership and sort of the intersection of prophetic leadership and prophetic preaching uh, uh, in the prophetic domain, if you will, of ministry. Um, I would describe the prophet as someone who is engaged in the ministry of reconciliation and a specific type of reconciliation, one that I call civil reconciliation, uh, one that is not afraid to speak truth to power or probably appropriately say, shared, speak truth to institutions of power uh, and speaking out on behalf of those who are been who are being marginalized or who have been marginalized, who've been pushed to the social periphery and those who need an advocate. Uh, the prophet is someone who is deeply concerned about notions of fairness and justice, not just within the walls of the sanctuary where he or she may lead worship, uh, but really in a global context and in a community-based context and someone who's interested in pushing the people of God to accept their role and responsibility in following out the mandates of Jesus and uh, in living out a ministry of reconciliation uh, with the proverbial other. Uh, and I say other to describe, especially in this day and age where we are so, we we in the United States are so divided uh, in our camp, so divided based on ethnicity, so divided based on race. Uh, the proverbial other is someone who simply is not like you, who may be different based on gender, who may be different uh, based on race, based on ethnicity, based on geography, or any number of factors. Uh, but the prophet is someone who's not afraid to speak truth to power. So you you are a prophetic preacher. I mean, hands down. I've watched you preach. I've seen you in action um, uh, there in Durham. I'm curious, though, some of the stuff you say, like I've watched on the live stream, I've seen you in person, all this great stuff, but, but sometimes some of the stuff you say I could see beyond the cutting edge of the prophetic word, right? Like that could, could make the congregation a little nervous, uh, could make the congregation maybe, dare I say, uncomfortable insofar as they need to hear this truth. Yet in hearing this truth, they are discomforted by the fact that they are agreeable with that truth. That, that is part a... of the role. That yeah, is part yeah, of the yeah. role of the prophetic preacher. Um, uh, certainly everyone enjoys a good amen, preacher preach that, right? But it's it's equally as important, I think, to bring the uncomfortable truths out that people have got to wrestle with, uh, because that's where true growth comes. Uh, uh, Christian ministry is not just about salvation and the kingdom to come. Christian ministry is about dealing with many of the social inequities and many of the things that may make us uncomfortable here in the kingdom at hand. Um, so um, I am I am not afraid to to be disquieting. Uh, I'm not afraid to address uh, things that that I think need to be talked about or must be talked about among the people of God. And I appreciate what I will consider compliments that you share. That yes, on consistently, I'm willing to to share and talk about the things that are uncomfortable. Um, uh, I think it was Karl Barth. Uh, a great the German theologian who wrote that the, the preacher should preach with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. And and consistently at St. Joseph AME Church, we preach with both in the pulpit week in and week out. And that is that is really what prophetic ministry is all about. And that's something that I certainly feel called to do and, and for the foreseeable future, certainly will continue doing. Well, well, and I do love that. And it is a compliment that you're, you're, you're speaking truth 
into a place that might not be ready or all the way ready for that truth, right? But I guess my question is, when you're sitting there right before you're supposed to give the sermon or as you're, 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 you're whittling away at the sermon through the week, what does it feel like to be worried about what you might have to say? Do you ever get worried about what you might have to say insofar as you're worried, well, gosh, how are they going to take this? Is this truth that needs to be spoken too far, too fast, too soon? Or is it something, or is this something that you've worked through in your own life that where you don't worry? I know in my own life, there are times that I worry, like, oh, I don't know how they're going to take this. I've never been here to this congregation before, guest preaching or whatever. You, of course, are implanted in a congregation. You also do guest preaching too. But all that's to say, I just wonder, how do you worry about these things? And then how do you mitigate those worries? So I am, I am number one, very prayerful. So before I, uh, during sermon preparation over the course of the week, uh, I'm very prayerful about not just what to preach, whether it's lectionary text, whether it's some other text that I was led to to uh, to preach from. Uh, uh, but I'm very prayerful in a very communicative space with God. So by the time I I stand up to to ask uh, uh, ask the congregation or the listeners to join in prayer as we come together in a community of believers, uh, I'm I'm pretty much in a grounded space where I know this is what God would have me to say at a particular time. Now, in all fairness. At, at home at St. Joseph, this is a congregation I've been blessed to serve now for a little over four years. This is my fifth year of service. It's a congregation that's been around for uh, almost 155 years, uh, 154 years now. Um, a, a congregation that is rooted in social justice and, and the minister of St. Joseph, the pastor of St. Joseph, just fill in the blank, is supposed to be somebody living out the type of ministry uh, that I live out. I'm blessed to be home in a space where I can, I can give my congregation to read me that much i know uh to your point i am blessed with several preaching engagements to go on the road and you never know how some people are going to respond to what you have to share but if you have a prayerful conviction about what you're supposed to share you still should be comfortable in sharing it or confident i should say in sharing it i have been invited to places and i will recall i do recall last summer invited to address reconciliation with the louisiana annual conference of the united methodist church at a time that was very uncomfortable in terms of racial dynamics in my home state. Nobody knows Louisiana better than I do because that's where I was born and raised. And it is it is the epitome of the deep South. And when I say deep, you go any further, you'd be swimming, right? It's the, it's the epitome of the deep South and all that that means. Uh, in, in, in spaces like that, I still believe the message is very important, but I want people to be able to hear me. I'm also cognizant, I'm an African-American man speaking to a, a, a overwhelmingly a white audience so I need to share what needs to be shared in such a way where people can hear it and prayerfully receive it. God has given me the gift of levity from time to time to do that. God has given me a sense of charm. I'd like to think, well, oftentimes I can disarm people in order to share what needs to be shared uh, because I truly believe we may not always agree on things, but we never have to be disagreeable. Uh, so I, I, preaching for me is more than just the promulgation of words. It's the sharing of ideas. It's finding a common space. Even if it's in talking about an uncomfortable topic, it's an attempt to bring people together and through the lens of prophetic preaching to talk about those social issues that have to be addressed in this day and age. So when, you, when I visited you at St. Joseph's, uh, a while back, not too long ago, but 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 it was an amazing time. I, I've had the best time with your crew and with other people of churches from around the community. We enjoyed you, and they're still talking about you. Praise yeah. God! Well, <laughs> so we enjoyed you. Hopefully, good thing. Hopefully, good thing. Absolutely, absolutely, um, without question. 
but 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 you know one of the things that i noticed as we were walking through and you're pointing out the people that have been pastor uh, of your church prior to you a lot of them have since uh, ascended to the episcopacy um your book is subsequently flanked uh, you've got bishop barber as uh, as as a, as a as a contributor to your book along with uh, bishop will willimon who's been on beloved journal this podcast mm-hmm. uh, we we, mm-hmm. we love us some will willimon here uh, and Bishop uh, and I love some Will Willimon too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me go on record and say I share your sentiment. You better go on record because he'll he'll check twice. Uh, um, but <laughs> two questions for you: What was it like to work with people like uh, William Barber, Will Willimon, uh, on this book? And then the the more question to the point: Do you think there might be a third bishop? Uh, on that book's uh, front page, eventually with the Bishop Jonathan <laughs> Augustine. What's what's what does that look like? Because we all know it's coming. I mean, you are you very kind. It, so. You are very kind. You are very kind. Um, I will share with respect to Bishops Barber and Willimon. Both of them are uh, a prophetic preachers par excellence. Uh, 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 Willimon, I had the the pleasure of studying under uh, during my doctoral studies at Duke. Uh, he did the uh, forward to my previous book, Call to Reconciliation, How the Church Can Model Justice, Diversity, and Inclusion. And he and I worked very closely on that, really a molding experience. And I have read several of his books. He's authored more than 70 books, right? Uh, a good bit more than 70 books, probably approaching 80 now. But a, a wonderful human being who has molded me and shaped me uh, with convictions to look at inequalities and call them out. Uh, because we serve a God of justice, we serve a God of fairness, uh, and a God who frowns upon inequalities. Uh, uh, Jesus's ministry was about reconciliation and that it was bringing people from the social margins and the social periphery, bringing them back into the mainstream, showing not just a tolerance, but showing a complete acceptance and embrace of those people. Uh, Jesus was not uh, Jesus's ministry was not one that was divided by the social construct of race. It was one that was embracing of all. Uh, a Will Willimon is somebody whose ministry has lived that out uh, through his pastorates in the United Methodist Church and certainly through his time uh, as an active bishop in the church. And, and most importantly, in molding me as a um, as a professor uh, at Duke Divinity School. Uh, so working with him, absolutely a joy. Uh, my work with with Bishop Barber uh, has been more practical than academic. Again, I had Willimon as a, as a student. Uh, uh, with Bishop Barber, it has been more uh, the prophetic ministry to take it to the streets. Uh, uh, we, we understand we've been formed by these ideas, but ideas have to be put to action. And, and Dr. Barber is somebody who certainly has done that through the course of his career, and he's somebody I admire more than I can uh, more than I can possibly express in words. Um, to to have been molded by him, to have been shaped by his ideas, uh, to understand uh, many of the obstacles he's overcome in life and the sacrifices he's made to advocate on behalf of those who have been marginalized. I look at him as a personal hero, and it is an honor that he was willing to do uh, an endorsement for my last book, For Call to Reconciliation, uh, but obviously the foreword for the current book, When Prophets Preach. He's a wonderful human being who I admire more than I can put into words. So um, so thank you for recognizing both of them as prophetic leaders, and I'm just deeply grateful for what they have poured into me and how they have helped shape who I am.
you, you, you skirted the question and we'll let you get around that. You saw that, right? You but noticed it, that. You did a good job. You <laughs> did a good job. Nothing is lost on you. You did a good job. Nothing is lost on you. I will say that the, 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 there was a conversation I was having with another professor at Duke Divinity School when I was a student there, or after I've been a student there, and um, they said that I was a lot like Willimon and that I'd never had an unpublished thought. <laughs> and I didn't I, I I don't know how they meant that and I know exactly they were of course were being in jest but it was like I was like oh I don't know if I like that I like having my thoughts to myself sometimes but but, but alas that is that is Willimon has written more books than um I, I think all of us combined um yes. he's got a book a day kind of thing at this point yes yes <laughs> but it's impressive yes. right like it's impressive that someone can have such a prolific line of work and be able to put out so much so fast so well um, he is completely amazing. And, uh, and again, I'm just grateful that his practical experience in parish ministry, his practical experience as a as a supervisor, as an Episcopal supervisor of ministers as a bishop, uh, especially in Alabama, a place that certainly has a, um, a sordid history uh, with respect to the subjects that are near and dear to our heart, racial reconciliation, uh, 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 gender discrepancies and the like. Uh, he is someone who has brought that practical experience experience to the classroom at Duke Divinity School and who has molded and shaped so many people. And I am so fortunate, as I'm sure you shared a sentiment, both of us are so fortunate to have been molded and shaped by him. Agreed, agreed. Uh, I do want to move on to our topic of uh, that, that we're both equally passionate about uh, in different ways and different from various aspects, and that's racial reconciliation. Mm -hmm. uh, I was... Um, Impressed isn't the right word insofar as I don't mean that I was like, oh, look at that. That's amazing. Uh, what I mean, I was impressed on my heart by your invitation uh, to me to preach at your church. And what I mean by that is um, I've had a lot of black churches support me in my work against my racist collateral ancestor. Mm-hmm. And yet to be invited into a space on a day like when you invited me, which for context for listeners who don't know, you invited me to preach on a day that you were commemorating the Emanuel Nine, the nine black churchgoers who were shot dead in Charleston, South Carolina in 2015. First of all, it feels so far away and so close. I mean, 2015 is now almost <laughs> a decade away, and yet that day is seared in my memory like few other and yet i was i was a little taken aback when i and i mentioned this in the sermon i was like whoa this isn't this isn't my ground this isn't the place that i need to be speaking yet you had the foresight and the prophetic vision to see that it might be a place where something could happen that would be beautiful all that's to say this is a delicate dance between in, in some ways, in between white preachers and black preachers and sharing pulpits and, and inviting people into spaces and then saying, you know what, this is what I'm, this is what I'm hoping for. Uh, you know, it could have easily gone off the rails, let's just put it that way. But by the grace of God and by the people you have been surrounded yourself with, it doesn't. I want you to talk about how you've surrounded yourself with people not just me, because I'm, I'm, you know, whatever, but but other people who have encouraged you to have these deep conversations around race, not only from the pulpit, but from places like the Festival of Homiletics and, and other places and the annual conferences that you go to, the bishops' convocations that you go to. How is it that you see this, your role right now in this particular place in our history, 
And how are you surrounding yourself with people to support, uplift, affirm, and help shape that role? Yeah, so, so important and such important work. Uh, let me let me just very politely put a spotlight on you since you were very polite in putting the spotlight on me. Uh, inviting you to preach was a no-brainer. You're, you're nothing to sneeze at. You've written a few books over. You're a national speaker, uh, well-known for the depth of your messages, uh, as well as the symbolic nature of your messages. So uh, having you was, was perfect. I, I thought you were the absolute perfect person to invite, and we're just grateful that you were gracious enough to accept the invitation. Uh, a part of part of what you experienced, and I'm glad your your spirit was touched as obviously mine was when you were here. Part of what you experienced was the authenticity of who I am, and quite frankly, who the congregation I'm blessed to serve is. Uh, we don't see color as a barrier. Uh, we see commonality. Uh, I don't see you as something different. I see you as my brother in Christ who may come from a different background. I understand that, but we certainly are joined at the hip philosophically and in terms of what we're trying to do uh, to make America better and make America live out its true creed. Uh, so so that is really who I am from a, from a very fundamental basis. That's how I was raised to see people as equals. I recognize the social construct of race and how it has stymied much of the progress in our society. But you make up for that by being genuine and by seeking friendship and commonality with others. And that's really what reconciliation is all about. Uh, uh, the ministry that we are doing here in Durham is anchored with um, St. Paul's uh, uh, Episcopal, excuse me, St. Paul's Evangelical Lutheran Church. Uh, uh, the pastor there, Scott, is a is a dear friend. I've known him since my time at Duke. Um, uh, uh, he is uh, he and his bishop, Bishop Tim, uh, uh, were the first ones to share with you that the that the shooter uh, uh, of the Emmanuel Nine, the shooter that evening, Dylan Roof, uh, was a member of the of the Lutheran Church, the Evangelical Lutheran Church. Um, that they are the first ones to share. We are the widest denomination in America. And we wanted to do all we can to promote diversity and to promote belonging, not an exclusion, but a narrative of belonging. So because I am genuine friends with Scott, uh, because Scott's bishop, Bishop Tim Smith, was kind enough, the, the previous book called A Reconciliation, he thought enough of it to have it as a read for his entire Senate. So for all of the, the Lutheran pastors in North Carolina uh, and, to, uh, and to have four weeks or five weeks of of Zoom calls over the course of the pandemic where people got together and talked about it in depth and in detail uh, uh, because we have genuine friendships and we're working toward genuine goals, uh, the common goals, I should say, uh, uh, united together in Christian ministry. Uh, uh, we don't see each other as different. We see each other as very linked with some, uh, with some different aspects of our backgrounds. So that is genuinely who I am. And if you, if you'll allow me to make a, make a reference uh, I'm from New Orleans initially, and my and my favorite food on the planet is gumbo. Um, as I, as I share, I, I I give a discussion of gumbo and contrasting it to the melting pot and 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 when prophets preach. But the beginning of the previous book called A Reconciliation begins with gumbo as an analogy, in that we seek authenticity of who people really are. Shrimp should be able to be shrimp. Okra can be okra. Chicken can be chicken, and we all come together not competing against one another, but instead complementing one another. And that's part and parcel how I see you and I and our friendship. We're in gumbo together. That's part and parcel how I see my relationship and my friendship with Scott. We're in gumbo together. Again, there's no animosity. There's no acrimony. There's commonality if we're just willing to, to be uh, uh, in the pot of gumbo together and to help one another and to work with one another. So continuing with that gumbo analogy and getting kind of down to the root of it. 
Jay, when, when, when you remove all the, I mean, you've done incredible things. I mean, I, I could harp on it for a while. I've already apparently started your Episcopal campaign for Bishop. Um, but, but all that's <laughs> to say, let, 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 let's, let's remove all that. Remove the two books, remove the, the, the pastor of a successful church, remove the speaking engagements, remove the chaplaincy that you have to a fraternity, remove all that for a second. What do you hope for for this country in this moment as as Jay Augustine, right? Like what is, what is what is your central and fullest hope for when you get to the end of this life and, and God calls you home? What do you want it to be said of this country and, and what we espouse? Uh, and, and I want you to get into it because I think you're on to something and people need to hear this. But 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 we're going to remove all this other stuff, this 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 amazing flourishes and, and, and all this stuff. But at the base level, what is it that you hope for for this country? There is there is a wonderful reference, uh, sort of an eschatological reference, but I think of it more as a practical reference, as a as a contemporary reference. But Revelation 7, 9 uh, speaks about. Uh, the commonality in the community uh, that peoples of every age, every nation, every ethnicity, every background will have uh, in both the, the kingdom to come and the kingdom at hand, uh, the church militant here on earth and the church triumphant up in heaven. Uh, it is my hope that we can live out what we know will be uh, in the kingdom to come, that we can live that out here in the kingdom at hand, uh, meaning if we are if we are to replicate God's reign or God's kingdom and replicate the unity of Christ that we know scripturally is waiting for us on the other side, I want to see that lived out here. Um, I think about a famous quote from Martin Luther King Jr. He shared that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. We have seen over the course of American history uh, that arc continuing to move, um, uh, and it is moving toward justice, but we have seen uh, we've seen a lot of back and forth. We've seen reactions to much of the social progress that has been made, and we've seen deliberate attempts to roll back social progress. Uh, in the wake of enslavement, for example, we entered the period of reconstruction, where obviously the previously enslaved enjoyed opportunities, educational institutions, economic advancement as never before seen, political advancement, holding political office as never before seen. Uh, then we saw a deep period of retrenchment uh, in the wake of Reconstruction that attempted to roll everything back. We saw another Reconstruction, if you will, uh, led by Martin Luther King Jr. and others who were prophetic leaders in the course of the Civil Rights Movement, an attempt to fulfill the great dream uh, 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 that was articulated in the Constitution to bring uh, the Declaration of Independence to really make those lofty ideals a reality for America. Uh, we had great progress with the Civil Rights Act of 1964, Voting Rights Act of 1965, and actually moving forward toward a beloved community. Uh, in the wake of, of, of King's assassination, really the end of the Civil Rights Movement in 1968, we started to see regress with the law and order philosophy from Richard Nixon and, and the other things that followed uh, with, the, with the first round of Make America Great Again with the 1980 uh, presidential election with Ronald Reagan. Um, um, we, we had tremendous progress uh, uh, aesthetically, substantively, in the whole nine yards with the administration of Barack Obama, symbolic for a variety of reasons, substantive in some very significant ways of really, really bringing people together. And the response, of course, was an attempt to 
revert back to the darkest days of America uh, with a political mantra of make America great again. Um, I do not limit that campaign slogan to any one particular campaign or to any one particular politician that may have made it popular. That is a philosophy that so many people have boldly embraced. And it's a philosophy, I think, that is detrimental to the America that we both want. So my goal is to fight against lines of division and to fight for lines of commonality, lines of communication where people can come together and really live out the, to hold that these truths are self-evident that all people, all people, I didn't say all men, that all people are created equal because we all are children of God. So my sincere hope is that we can move toward community and fulfilling out the vision that God has for us as articulated, as detailed in Revelation 7-9, but, uh, but to really become a community here on earth that, that can make God smile. And there it is. There we go. We've got work to do. One of the questions that we yes, ask, we do. Every, yeah, yeah. One of the questions that we ask everybody who comes on this podcast during this season is, is who is someone you appreciate and would like to give a shout out to and why? Mm -hmm. um, 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 I am, I can, I can play it politically safe. I certainly appreciate my wife. She's so very supportive uh, uh, of me and of my, um, of my, of my dreams in the, in the consistent the consistent disparities that I articulate. And what do I mean by consistent disparities? One day I want to save the world and do X. The next day I want to save the world and do Y, right? So my my goals are always the same of doing good, but the means by which I want to do good oftentimes will change. She's so patient with all of that. And God has blessed me with some tremendous gifts. I do deeply appreciate that. And I'm humbled by that. And that's probably why my thoughts move from one domain to the other so frequently, because I want to do so much good. So my wife, Michelle Burks Augustine, is really a wonderful person uh, and a wonderful mentor. I am I am grateful uh, now for uh, the wonderful people at St. Joseph. Uh, uh, it's a it's a wonderful congregation. I want to give them a shout out because uh, they are supportive of their pastor's vision of bringing about human equality. Uh, we have become known as a social justice church through a lot of news coverage, which is wonderful building upon a storied legacy of the past, but in welcoming a new pastor in 2019, uh, we, we really got behind a vision of equity for all uh, in response to what we were seeing as part of that Make America Great Again narrative. So I'm so blessed to serve wonderful people that are supportive of me uh, in traveling and doing other things to represent them, uh, but to represent God and, and, and to try to live out God's reign for all people. So my wife and, uh, and St. Joseph, are two that I want to recognize and put a spotlight on and say thank you for the unconditional support that both give. Dr. Jonathan, Jonathan C. Augustine, thank you so much for coming on Beloved Journal. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you, and thank you again for having me. Beloved Journal is a podcast on a mission. Check out our other episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Today's podcast was hosted by the Reverend Rob Lee. Find him on Twitter at Rob Lee 4 or on Instagram at Rev Rob Lee. You can find our social media on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Beloved Journal and finding our logo. Beloved Journal's theme music is a cover of the Golden Girls theme song done by Mipsa. Seriously, they're the best band in the world. This podcast was the dream of Stephanie Lee and was produced by Maggie the Golden Doodle and Frank the Poodle. Go show the world that it's worth fighting for. And as always, thanks for listening.